in worship this morning. You know, as I, I listened, I just thought uh, uh, the coming of Jesus is so uh, special that it deserves the most lavish and the best that we can give. Last weekend, we had uh, Jingle in the City, which was just a great offering of, of praise to Jesus, and uh, then today to have uh, this special worship. Yeah, well, I'll come help you. Hang on. And uh, so it, it just, uh, you know, Jesus deserves the very best, doesn't he? And so we give him our praise in so many ways, and uh, it's great to be able to celebrate Christmas. We're going to move your stuff, and we, we might want to, are we going to be, uh, are we, am I going to be, I'm a little bit nervous here. Can we move this? I would, uh, I would sure hate to uh, kick that if I got real excited or something, so uh, let's, let's move that back. I get excited, yes sir, and uh, so... If, that would be great. Thank you for that. And, um, and while we're um, talking about uh, worship of the Lord, I want to just uh, take a minute to share with you about next Sunday, uh, because it's a little different. It's on Christmas Day. So on Christmas Eve, next Saturday night, we have a 5 o'clock Lord's Supper, Candlelight Lord's Supper. It's a great time. If your family is gathering on Christmas Eve, would you consider coming and taking an hour and, and worshiping with us. We're going to have a little different, we're going to have a children's time up on the stage, have the Christmas tree over and invite children to come up, have a small gift for kids, going to share with them. And then we're going to do the same thing on Christmas morning. So we're going to have one service on Christmas morning, Sunday at 10 a.m., no connection groups, no we worship, but we'll have a children's time up here on the stage, be, get their picture made together, be a, a family-friendly kind of service. And so we invite you to both of those services next weekend. Well, today I'm sharing with you again in my series, Who is Jesus? A Christmas series from the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew and Luke. That's sort of an overlooked part of the Christmas story. A lot of times we just sort of read through those lists of names and think they don't mean much, but I think they're there for a purpose. They're to tell us something about the identity of Jesus, and that's the most important thing in the world. Now, genealogies often have some mystery about them. I want to tell you just a little bit of my wife's family tree. My wife, Cindy, has a lot of mystery on the father's side, on her father's side. Her grandfather, um, his name was Kovsky. Cindy's maiden name is Kovsky, but it's been shortened from something, and we don't know what that was, like Tchaikovsky, the musician, or, or who knows what, but shortened from something. So Cindy's grandfather was Hungarian, and he lived in Russia, and around the turn of the century, he was going to be conscripted into the Russian army, and so he stowed away on a boat, was a stowaway, and came on a ship to America came through New York City, made his way as an immigrant to Chicago, heard in Chicago that uh, there was a need for miners in the copper mines in Copper Hill, Tennessee. And so that's how a Hungarian came from, uh, from Russia to, to New York to Chicago and came to Copper Hill and got work where Cindy grew up, Copper Hill, Tennessee, and uh, worked in the, the copper mines there. And he uh, married a woman who was half Cherokee. Not that many family trees have Cherokee Indian and Hungarian in them, uh, but uh, Cindy then is one-quarter Hungarian and one-eighth Cherokee Indian. That's a little bit of an odd uh, heritage to have, perhaps. But uh, that's about all she knows about that side of her family. 
He died young. He spoke very little English. And so there was just not much that was discovered. There's a lot of mystery about her family tree on that side of the family. Well, today we're going to look at Jesus' family tree, and we're going to discover some mystery, some unanswered questions that we have about Jesus' family tree. We don't know everything. Uh, We looked the last two weeks at the family tree of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And let me just read you Matthew 1.1 again to remind you of what we learned there. Matthew 1.1 is how the New Testament begins, how Matthew begins, and God began it with the genealogy of Jesus. Because right off the bat, he wants to tell us something about who Jesus is. And so Matthew 1.1 says, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. It's important to know that Jesus is the Christ because he's descended from David like the Old Testament promised and he comes from Abraham and God said, I'm going to bless the world through Abraham and this is God's fulfillment of everything that he's planning to do in our world. All the hope we have, he's blessing the world through this son of Abraham. And so then Matthew begins with Abraham in verse 2 and traces the genealogy of Jesus down from Abraham through Joseph to Jesus. When we come to Luke's genealogy, Luke is the other place in the Bible that has a Christmas story, it's, there's some differences. The first difference is that Luke doesn't start his gospel with it. He puts it after the Christmas story, in fact, after uh, the baptism of Jesus, right when Jesus begins his ministry, because Luke wants us to know as Jesus begins his ministry who he is. So it's, I'm going to read Luke 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, or so it was thought. Remember, Jesus is born of a virgin. And both Matthew and Luke have made this point. So it says, he was the son of, or so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, and then begins the genealogy. So notice the other difference here is that Luke goes backwards Uh, rather from the opposite direction from Matthew. Matthew starts at Abraham and goes down to Jesus. Um, Luke goes the other direction, starts in Jesus, and traces uh, it backward. But the big difference between the two genealogies is that between David and Jesus, they don't match up. The names aren't the same. In fact, Matthew has 27 names in that section. Luke has 42, and they don't match. For example, let me show you. Uh, i got a couple of uh, slides here. We sort of set them side by side. So here's Matthew. If, if we had to flip the order of one of them, of course, to make them go in the same direction, right? But if you flip the order, here we go in Matthew 1, 6, and 7. It says that the genealogy of Jesus goes through David, Solomon, Rehoboam, In Luke 3.31, it says it goes David, and then it departs, Nathan, uh, and on down. Now, here's a 
uh, we want to look at this for a minute because here's one of the Bible difficulties. Here's a place where critics would say that the Bible is not reliable because here's a contradiction in the Bible. So I want to take a minute and talk about that. I don't think we talk enough in church about problems in wrestling with understanding the Bible. Uh, and then when people encounter them in other places, then they have doubts about the reliability of the Bible. Maybe you read a book or you go to a college class and somebody points out these uh, difficulties, these alleged discrepancies in the Bible. And, and so I want us to talk about it in church, okay, because we need to be able to understand that. So here's one of those things, uh, a Bible difficulty. Here's the genealogy of Jesus, and they don't seem to match up. You follow it on down, got a second little comparison to put up there with you. Let's look at the end of it then, where they come back together. So if you compare Matthew 1, 15 and 16 and Luke 3, 23 and 24 as it comes to the end, it's got Jacob, the father of Joseph. Jacob would be Jesus' grandfather. But in Luke's, it's got Heli, two different names, and it comes back together. What are we to make of that? Well, I believe, we believe as Christians that the Bible is true, that it doesn't contradict itself. So what's the, how do we harmonize that? How do we explain that? There are two possible theories. One theory is that Matthew is giving us Joseph's genealogy, but Luke is giving us Mary's genealogy. After all, Jesus was not the biological descendant of Joseph, we just said. So maybe Luke is giving us Mary's genealogy. And here would these two would be from the same tribe of Judah and have some relatives in common, but their genealogies obviously would be a little different. That would make sense because Luke is obviously telling us Mary, about Mary's side of the Christmas story. You read the two of Christmas accounts, and Matthew tells us about when the angel came to Joseph. Luke tells when the angel came to Mary. Uh, Luke is the one who tells us about them uh, going to Bethlehem and the birth. And Luke is telling us that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. So Luke, I think, talked with Mary. I think sometime when Luke went to Jerusalem, I think he met Mary. He got the information that's recorded nowhere else in the Bible. That's in Luke 1 uh, through 3. And uh, it's a source of that. So one th way of explaining this, first theory, would be this is Mary's genealogy. Against that theory, the problem with that is it doesn't really say that. It, it sounds like it's talking about Joseph. Mary is not mentioned here, but that's one possibility. A second possibility of harmonizing these two, of understanding them together, would be that one of these genealogies shares the legal descent that both of them are about Joseph. So the same theory is they're both Joseph's genealogies. How could that be? Well, that one of these shares the legal descent of Jesus and the other the biological descent. You remember in, in looking at Matthew's genealogy, we've already seen leveret marriage twice in the genealogy. Remember what the Old Testament says about leveret marriage? That is, because of the importance of carrying on a family line and caring for a widow, that if a, a guy uh, dies, then his wife, the widow, the brother of that man is supposed to take her as his wife if he is able so that uh, her, the line can continue. And so when that happens, the legal name continues through the brother. That's why you're doing it. But biologically, uh, it is a different story. So it could be adoption or leveret marriage, but that's another possibility that both of these are Joseph's story, uh, family tree, but they're two different uh, ways of viewing that. 
regardless, here's, we just don't know is the final answer. Those are two theories, but we don't know how to put these two together. But strangely, that's a testimony for the reliability of the Bible. And you say, well, how could it be that if they're different, they don't seem to fit? How could it be a testimony for the reliability of the Bible? Let me tell you the story of J. Warner Wallace. He was a homicide detective who was an atheist, didn't believe in God. But he got to investigating the Gospels and became convinced of their truth, of their integrity, and he became a Christian. And he wrote a book, Cold Case Christianity, using his homicide detective kind of skills to examine the gospel. If you watch the movie that we showed last year, God's Not Dead 2, he did a, had a cameo. He was, he was on the, uh, in the trial as a witness in that case. And so here's what he says. He says, the evidence that testimonies are true is when eyewitness accounts don't match up in every detail. He says, if they match up perfectly in every detail, I think there's been collusion, collaboration. He said, I nearly had a case ruined when there was a murder and I was investigating it, it was pouring the rain and the officers who were on duty who were there before I got there put all three of the witnesses in the back seat of the patrol car to keep them dry. By the time I got there, they all three had the exact same story because they had talked about it. And he said, I, I, I couldn't get the facts because they had put their stories together. He says the evidence when you have credible testimony is there's some discrepancies in, that you can't figure out. They, they're true, but you can't see them. That, he says to me, is a sign that we have real eyewitnesses. He's got a quote from his book I want to put up here. If you wrestle with any of this, uh, we got a slide. We can put that quote up there. I'll read it if we don't have it. See if we got it uh, next. No, let me read it to you. Here, this is from Section 105 of the California Criminal Jury Instructions. So this is our government, California State Criminal Jury Instructions. Do not automatically reject testimony just because of inconsistencies or conflicts. Consider whether the differences are important or not. Also, two people may witness the same event, yet see or hear it differently. Even our jury instruction says, we don't discount testimony that may seem to have some discrepancies in details because it probably fits into that big picture, but we just don't see how. And that's what uh, J. Warner Wallace says is true of the Gospels. Yeah, there it is. There we go. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but moving on from that, the biggest thing about Luke's genealogy that's different from Matthew, and the most important distinction is that Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. Matthew started at Abraham and went down, but Luke starts at Joseph and goes all the way back to Adam. Let me read to you uh, Luke 3, 24, where we, it's the same to hear. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, that's where Matthew stops, but all the way down to verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Why does Luke do this? What is Luke trying to tell us about who Jesus is by tracing this genealogy to Adam? Well, I believe that Luke is telling us here that Jesus came to save all people. He is going all the way back to Adam but so that you share 
in that genealogy as well, don't you? Remember, Matthew's point is to share with his Jewish audience that Jesus is the Christ. He is the King of the Jews. That's why he tells about the wise men. Where is he who was born King of the Jews? But Luke is writing for Gentiles, non-Jews, most of us. And Luke is showing that he's not just the Savior of the King of the Jews, but he's the Savior of the world. He's the one hope for all of those who descend from Adam, for the whole human race. And so Luke is the one who tells us that the angels said to the shepherds, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And Luke wants to reinforce that truth, and he traces this genealogy all the way back to Adam, to show that commonality. Jesus is the Savior for every descendant of Adam and Eve. Jesus, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you're like, we're all basically the same. We're all made in the image of God. We've all sinned. There's one Savior for us all. His name is Jesus. Even more than that, Luke, I think, is indicating here that Jesus came to fulfill the first promise of the Bible. The first promise of the Bible about a Savior is not the word to David, there will always be a king descending from you on the throne. The first promise of the Bible about a Savior is not the one to Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through your descendants. The first promise of the Bible of a Savior goes all the way back to the days of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Let me read it to you in Genesis 3.15. And it says that the offspring of Adam will crush the head of Satan. Genesis 3.15 is when God is pronouncing the curse for sin. We sinned, and there's consequences to our sin. And he's telling about that in the verse before, in verse 14. He's cursing that serpent. The serpent, the, the Satan, The evil figure used a human creature through that serpent. He spoke as a mouthpiece. And so God curses that serpent and says, you'll crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. That's in 3.14. Still talking to him, he says, now to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. How many of you don't really like snakes? Oh, come on now. If we let snakes loose under the pews right now, how many of you would not be really happy about that? Okay, all right. There it is, enmity. There is enmity, right? Isn't there enmity between a lot of people and snakes? Some people like snakes. Most people don't. But it's more than that. It's this struggle between good and evil. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, all the descendants of Adam and Eve, And between Satan, there's that enmity. And between your offspring and hers, and here's the promise then, after that curse, last part of verse 15, he will crush your head, that is, the offspring of Adam and Eve will crush Satan's head, and Satan will strike the human's heel. Do you hear that that veiled prophecy? It's it's just the first hint of a prophecy here. Here's what's going to happen. Satan is going to strike the offspring of Adam and Eve. But one of the offspring of Adam and Eve is going to step on that snake, is going to crush his head. There's the crucifixion and the resurrection in kernel form. In the crucifixion, 
Satan struck the heel of the son of Adam. In the resurrection, the son of Adam crushed the head of Satan. There's the first promise. And Luke, by tracing the genealogy back to Adam, is saying, here it is, folks. Here's the victory. You've, been, you, you've had that, you felt that, you felt the fangs of Satan in your life. You've dealt with cancer and you've dealt with, with unfaithfulness in marriage. You've dealt with sin and you've dealt with all this stuff, right, that this world is a part of. He's bruised your heel. Now has come the descendant of Adam who will crush his head. That's the hope of Christmas. Let me give you one more verse about that that you need to know if you don't know it. It's Romans chapter 16, verse 20. You need to know this verse if you don't. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen? If you're a link to Jesus and you're connected with him, then you share in that promise. And God says, I know you're suffering. Some of you may be going through a tough thing at Christmas. You've lost a loved one in this past year, and it's sort of tough this year. The serpent has bruised your heel. But you hang on. You know why? Because the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen? That's the hope. So you hang on. The God of peace who started it in Genesis is going to finish it one day and you hold on because he's going to crush Satan under your feet. And Luke is bringing us back to that Adam promise. Share one more thing about why I think he does this. Because Jesus is Adam 2.0. Adam 1.0 was faulty. And he led us into sin. But God, in his goodness and his mercy, has upgraded Adam. And he's given us Adam 2.0. The second Adam, the last Adam. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians. Paul's traveling companion and mentor, Paul, wrote these, or Luke's traveling companion and mentor, Paul, wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And so through Adam, death came into our world. The wages of sin is death. But through another man, Christ, the resurrection came into the world. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Let me skip down to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. And it says, so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Adam 2.0, the last Adam, the second Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Do you hear what he's saying there? Jesus is the second Adam. He's the last Adam. He started the human race all over again. You've all been born of Adam, right? And you're all sinners, right? And you're all going to die, right? But there's an Adam 2.0. He's restarted the human race with this final Adam, what Adam was supposed to be in God's plan. And Adam 2.0 brings life and forgiveness and resurrection. Only really two people you need to know in history. Adam 1 
in Adam too. The first Adam and the second Adam. And all of us line up behind one of the two. Here's how I think of it and what Christmas means. You ever go Christmas shopping and you go to one of these stores and there's 25 checkout lines and two of them are open. You've been there? And why can't they get some of those people talking in the back? Just come run a checkout up here for a while, you know? But you get in line. You size up the lines, and you get in what you think is the best line. It's the 15-item or less line. Surely it can't be too long there, right? And you watch as there are about three or four people in front of you, and you look up there, and there's that person, and you count. You ever count those items? She's taking them out of her buggy. 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and oh, you're waiting. And the next person in line in front of you has only one item, and you think, this is going to be, this is going to be much better. And she puts that item out there and pulls out a checkbook <laughs> and starts writing 31 <laughs> and 59, and then says, is this the 17th or the 18th? Oh, it's the 18th. 12, 18. And then gets it written and tears it out of that checkbook. But then goes to the ledger and enters it because you don't want to forget that. And then hands that check to the cashier, right? And you're standing back there all the time. And then you hear those magical words. A cashier in the next line says, could I help someone over here? And a new line has been opened up. Aren't those great words? Let me tell you, here's what Christmas means. You're standing in that line. And here's what God has said at Christmas. I can get you over here. We're going to open up a new line. A line that leads not to death, but a line that leads to life. That's what happened at Christmas. God opened a new line. The new Adam. Adam 2.0. And you're all in line behind Adam and you're going to die for your sin. But the good news is you can change lines. And God has opened at Christmas a new line. And Luke is telling us that as he traces that genealogy all the way back. So today... At Christmas, I want to invite you to get in a new line. Get in a new line. By your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be headed to life, not death. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh, Lord, I, I, I pray today that the identity of Jesus would just ring clear in our ears today, clear in our eyes. And I pray if there's a person here today who does not have a trust relationship with Jesus, that you'll draw them to you, Father, by the wonder of your goodness in opening a new line for us, giving us a new direction, a new future. Lord Jesus, thank you that you, the Son of God, the rightful King, came to us to give us hope. And I pray that hope will ring in our hearts today. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Would you stand together with me?